Hey guys, you are listening to The Happy Hour with Jamie Ivey. I am Jamie and I'm your host and I'm so glad that you're here. If you like what you're listening to today, make sure you subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. We bring you new shows every Wednesday and Fridays and an amazing guest always joins me to chat about the big things in life, the little things in life and everything in between. Subscribe today to The Happy Hour with Jamie Ivey on your podcast player so you never miss an episode. Hey friends, and welcome to the Happy Hour with Jamie Ivy podcast. I'm your host, Jamie, and I'm so glad you're here. Each week on this show, I invite a girlfriend to join me and we chat about the big things in life, the little things in life, and everything in between. You're listening to a special edition of the Happy Hour with Jamie Ivy podcast called Your Last Decade. We thought it'd be fun to talk to a few friends about what life was like for them 10 years ago. How has their life changed and what did the last 10 years brought them? We also like to ask, what are they looking forward to over the next 10 years? Today, Derek Miner is joining me on the show. Derek and I met this year when we both became co-hosts of The Relevant Podcast. We have a lot of fun recording that every single week. You should check it out if you haven't. Derek's been producing and creating music for years. In fact, all my boys already knew about Derek Miner. And as I tell Derek, he's my one cool point with the kids. I knew I wanted to have him join me at one point this year. And I feel like right now is the perfect time. His voice is very important in our country, and our faith communities. Our conversation about what it's been like for him as a black man in our country over the past years, it's important. I encourage you as you're listening to slow down, really listen as Derek unpacks his reality, his thoughts, and his concerns about what is happening right now in our current culture. Be sure and follow Derek on social media and tell him thank you. Give him some love for coming over here on the happy hour. Friends, have you subscribed to our YouTube channel? If not, stop right now. Go visit jamieivy.com slash YouTube, hit subscribe, and then come right back here and listen to the show. We have family videos. We make pizza for you. We make vegan queso for you. We have happy hour live videos. There's the quarantine happy hour videos. I don't know if you saw those. I had some friends join me, Christine Kane, Shelly Giglio, Christy Wright, Sadie Robertson, Alina Pitts. We've got podcast preview videos. It's a lot of fun, and we're going to have more videos for you over the summer as well. Find all that information at youtube.com slash Jamie Ivy. Okay, here's my conversation with Derek. Derek, welcome to the special edition of the Happy Hour called Your Last Decade. Welcome. What up? Uh, I'm so happy to be here, y'all. I'm glad that we met and I get a chance to be on the podcast. You feel me? You know You're saying? on the Happy Hour. I'm so excited. Now, let me just tell everyone you and I are new friends. Yes. We just met within the past month. We both are new co-hosts on the Relevant Podcast. And so that's been the extent of our knowing each other. But now you're coming on the happy hour. We're like, you know, buds. Yeah, you know what I'm saying? It's dope. Like, I'm super excited. I've, it's been a pleasure getting to know you and, and uh, like just how creative and smart you are. So thank you for having me on. It's a blessing for sure. You're kind. Well, I told you this the first time we met on the Relevant Podcast that you are my number one cool points with my boys right now. So as a mom, like how old are your kids, Derek? Uh, Six and eight. Okay. So which you probably have, you have people that you met that you know that your kids would be like, dad, there's no way you know this person. You are that for me right now. So I would like to publicly thank you for allowing my kids to think I have any coolness in me is because I know you. 
That's what's up. Hey, that's what's up. <laughs> Use the Derek card anytime you need I, to. I, I'm on it. I'm on the Derek card for sure. Um, okay, so 10 years. I think that the funny thing about this show is every time someone comes on, oftentimes the things they say are like, what was I doing 10 years ago? And it feels like time. Here's the example. We're in the middle of quarantine. And uh, it's June when this comes out. Does it not feel like it's been the longest three months, but yet the fastest three months? You know what I mean? Yeah, it, it's crazy because we just live in a world where there's so many things happening. But then since you can't like go out the way you want to go out, it's slowed everything down. But every day is like every day feels like a year. Oh, my like, gosh. Stuff happening in that day. You know oh, my I mean? gosh. Crazy, crazy. Okay, so for 10 years ago, though, you yeah. would have been mid-20s, am I right? Yeah, yeah, I'd have been 26. Okay, what was life like for you at age 26? I was broke. <laughs> <laughs> Were you married? Were you doing music? What was, the, what was happening with you? Yeah, I had just got married two years ago, and we had moved to Memphis during this time. So my wife is a uh, a pharmacist. So she was in pharmacy school at the time. So we had just moved to Memphis. I had just met Lecrae and Reach Records and all those guys around that time. And yeah, I was making music in my closet. <laughs> so I had like this microphone set up in this sweaty closet. So I recorded like my first two albums with my shirt off most of the time. <laughs> Because you had to turn the air off. I mean, that I know that. Like when we're recording, you got to turn the air off, and everyone's sweating. Yes, we, I was living in the, in like the semi hood apartments. There's no air in your closet. <laughs> <laughs> They're not turning nothing off. It's just how it is. Like it's just straight sweat. <laughs> oh. So yeah, but uh, that's that was that's what was happening. Um, yeah. So when you're you know you're newly married, broke moved to a new city, making music. It's easy now to look at where you are and the accomplishments that you've had and the music you've created. But in that moment, I mean, so many people are living in that moment that you were just describing. And that's their reality right now. And it's hard for them to even think about 10 years. When you look back on that, you have the know-all to know what, what your life turned out to be. So we have that advantage. But in that moment, what were your dreams? What were your goals? What did you want your life to look like in 10 years? I wanted it to look like it does now. Really? This is what you wanted? What I wanted. I Ever since I was a kid, you know, I always wanted to be able to make music for a living and say what I want and what's on my heart. And, you know, we're financially stable. Uh, my wife, I got my kids. I wanted two kids. This is what I wanted. You know, this is, this is, this is what... I asked the Lord for to have a, just a beautiful family. And, and, you know, nothing always comes out exactly how you want it. Because when you're younger, your brain doesn't have the maturity to understand what life is about. But, you know, I think the older I get, the more I realize how much the Lord gave me what I wanted. But then at the same time, gave me something better. Mm, you know? Yeah. More than you could like can imagine that, that right. it would turn out to be. Exactly. Different. Very di It's different. But then at the same time better. And it's almost like I got what my heart desired, mm -hmm. but not necessarily what my mind desired, if that makes sense. It does. It does. Okay. I have a question for you that I'm curious about. A, I'd love to know like where your love of music came from. But, but besides that, I also want to know this. When did you decide that you wanted to mesh your faith and music together? 
And mm-hmm. was that something that you always thought about or is that just an evolving of your faith? What did that look like for Derek? That's good. I learned music. First off, my mom is a beautiful singer and she would drag me to church all the time. So like I learned like a passion from her, but my dad was also a musician. So when he was like 12 years old, he taught himself how to read music. And it was, it was like, I don't know, 12 or 15, but it was around the time whenever Detroit riots were his, <laughs> his dad, I never met him, but his dad in the Detroit riots, uh, they were looting and he took a guitar from a guitar shop and, mm-hmm. took it to the, and my dad took it and learned and taught himself how to read music. So I, I got the timeline all messed up, but I don't know if, if it was when he was, you know, younger or older, but it's just crazy. So that's why I learned it. Cause every summer I go back and hang out with him. And, and when I hung out with him, it was crazy. Like we didn't really have a lot in common, but the fact that I love music. That was bonding for y'all. It was, it, that's what it was. So fast forward, as far as the faith is concerned, like I told you, my mom was really, really religious and, like growing up, I had to sneak to listen to rap. Like she mm-hmm. wouldn't let me. <laughs> and, uh, just, you know how that goes. The yep. more, she, and my mom was like, she not like a regular Christian. She was like a <laughs> one of those black Pentecostal Christians with the white shirts, the blue jean skirts, the big blocky white shoes. Like you know, that was her. She okay. was no makeup, no nothing. So what you wanna you like you listening to rap? Like the first thing. First time she found out I listened to rap, I had a masterpiece CD, Ice Cream, and she, I left it on accident in my CD player. Uh-oh. Came home, and man, that mug was broke into the four million. <laughs> How you break something that much? That's right. <laughs> so, like, I kind of was born in that kind of household, and it just kind of became natural because I always enjoyed the artists that were honest. Mm. So, and I thank the Lord, you know, back then I wasn't really happy about the overly protective Christian mom, you know, who was trying to make, you know, her son see the light. Um, But now I appreciate it because she taught me how to be honest at all all times. So I make music in faith because I'm a man of faith. Mm. You know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. Like my music is telling my story. So even if I wanted to not intertwine it, I couldn't. Like, there. It's who you are. Yeah. Did you have a season of like rebellion or were you like, <laughs> I love Jesus my whole life? Uh, it's not a tell all. I don't need details, but did you? <laughs> interesting. I, it, it, it's like, I never really, like, I never really was a very, like, wild person. Mm-hmm. Like, but that doesn't mean that I knew Jesus. I believe I, yeah. I, I believe I met Jesus. For real, about 2010. Yeah. To be honest. Yeah. Because, you know, I was mostly a cultural Christian. And then I kind of did my own thing and was real spiritual, mm-hmm. but not really like serious about my faith like that. And probably, I think it was, it, yeah, it was, a, it was a little bit before 2010. It's actually 2006. I had got saved in my dorm room. Uh, I guess it's 2006. Is it 2006? Yeah, 2000. I early about five years earlier, five six yeah. years earlier. I saved in my dorm room. So so then around 2010, that's when I met Lecrae. And the reason I joined 116 was not because of the music. 
because I always felt I'd make it in music. I joined 116 because they literally taught me how to read my Bible. Mm. Right? Lecrae and BJ. BJ is my brother to this day. Me and Lecrae tight to this day. And it's because I, I look up to them, not necessarily musically, but because like they literally taught me how to read the Bible. You know, I learned, I learned that my platform, like what I say matters. So, you know, I never really had a phase of craziness, but I did have a phase of just trying to figure it out. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's, it's interesting. I mean, it's beautiful because I think that, you know, God made us for community and hearing your story about what the friends of yours and how they not only just encourage you musically and your art and your craft, but it, it was even more than that. It was more than, you know, this Bible that we believe is what's going to affect your art and your craft basically as well as your faith. So yeah. you said in those 10 years that you, you're living what you would have wanted. Yeah. But I would have to imagine it hasn't been easy. No, not at all. Absolutely. It's not easy now. It's so many. Like, that, I'm just kind of thinking how many things, you know, like, I remember thinking at one point in time, as far as music is concerned, I wanted to be like this huge megastar Drake type guy. And yeah, hey, if the Lord blesses me to, to go quadruple diamond. You'll hey, take I'm, it. I'll take it. But... <laughs> As I've gotten further along in business, I started realizing that the powers in the ownership, um, you know, there's a there's a there's a label I know right now. They sold the ca- a catalog that I was a part of. You know what I'm saying? And I can never get that back. You see what I mean? So can you? Expl- I understand that because I have a husband who's a musician. Can you explain that real quick about selling the catalog that you can't ever get back? Because that's yeah. important. So, you know, when you sign a record deal, they own the what you would call masters or the songs. Now, I'll forever be able to get paid off of those songs because I'll just get paid off of them. Because you're, you you're the right. You're the songwriter. Right. Yeah. But there's so much more money when you have ownership and so much more power to be able to exploit the master. So, you know, if 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 I, you know, the songs I own, if I want them to be in a movie, I get to set the price and I get to eat off of all of that, right? So, um, well, you know, but if you're an artist, you don't have control of that. But the person that owns the master, they can sell it for 10 times what it's worth. Mm. Like, because they're selling it. So they're saying, hey, it's worth this right now. But the thing about music is it's, it lasts forever. So they, yeah. they'll say, hey, I'll sell it to you for five to seven times what it's worth right now. Because we're going to keep this for 30 years. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Yeah. And being like, so now realizing how important that is has made me say, yo, like I'm blessed because I own all my masters, our labels successful, and I'm actually helping the artists that are under me, like have more ownership in the master where it's a true partnership and helping them create record labels and stuff. And that is what I get joy out of. Now I get more joy out of helping one of my artists start a record label and sign more artists and be owners of a business than I did even when I got the Grammy and when when I got the the, the gold plaque or the Dove Award or the Stellar Award. Like that means more to me than those things. Although those things mean something to me, right? Mm -hmm. But that's what I realized at one point. And I guess that's the idea what we talked about earlier is like, my goals at 26 were a lot more selfish, I think. Mm. You know, they were more me focused. Mm-hmm. And, and now as I get older and I've gotten a lot of those things, I realize 
the joy is in being others focused. It's in, it's in helping others. That's where the real joy is at, you know? I love that. And I wonder if that has changed your focus on your career over the past 10 years. Like, I guess when you started, you know, your career now and you started making music, when did you make the switch to producing? Yeah, as far as producing, uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I've always produced. That's the funny thing. I've always made the music that that I rap on. Like, okay, I would say probably of all my songs in my catalog, I've probably produced sixty percent of them, uh, just by my. So this is not like a. It's not a new thing for you. But do you do more producing now than you do your own rapping? Yeah, absolutely. Okay, yeah. that's what so, I thought. I still rap, but I just, I get joy out of having someone come to the studio and pushing them to a limit they've never been, right? Like, that's powerful. Like, when I can see something in you Mm. that, I can't explain the feeling, but like, when I see greatness in you, but you may not see it, revealing that to you is the most rewarding thing in the world when someone finally gets it, you know, when you watch that, that's fulfilling to me, you know what I mean? That's cool. That's really cool. That's really cool. Um, okay, so your mom, is your mom still alive? Oh, yeah. Yeah, she <laughs> So this is my question, you know, growing up in this, know. you know, strict house, getting caught with, you know, your first rap CD. Where, what does your mom think about your career now? Funny. It's so funny. She's my biggest fan. I love it. Like, it's crazy because, one, okay, so because she was that, so like, when I first started rapping, I was like, yo, I rap, but it's going to be like, I'm going to put God in it. It's going to be like, watch. <laughs> but one point in time, I thought I was inventing Christian rap almost. like So, <laughs> um, you know, and she was like, no, that's the devil. You know, that's the devil. La, la, la. Well, when I was younger, I was 16. And, we, you know, only place I could rap was the church. So I was like, all right, let me do these church raps. And this girl gave her life to Christ at the show. And that's what my mom was. She just mm. was like, I'm going to let him do what he do. You know what I'm saying? And uh, that's, that's amazing. So now she's like my biggest fan. So you'll hear like Kurt Franklin, all this gospel music. And then this really hard rap beat come in. And she's <laughs> like, yeah. <laughs> I'm like, how do you put this worship music into some like protest song for me? Like, it's crazy. I love it. Love it. Love it so much. Um, Okay, Derek, I want to get a little bit more personal with you over the past 10 years. And even over the past, just even this year, you and I had a conversation about the current events that's happening in our country right now over on the Relevant Podcast that I mentioned earlier. And, you know, one of the things that, that I know must be difficult for my friends who are Black is the kind of the the moment that we're in in time right now of so many white people, majority culture people going, I can't believe this is happening. This just, I can't believe this is happening. (laughs) And what I hear from my friends who are black and even just from books that I've read is that it's, that's so very insulting because this 2020, the things we've seen so far in the news, uh, these aren't new, they're just recorded, you know? And so talk to me a little bit about not the last 10 years, but maybe even just the last couple of years since, you know, 2000, what are we in? 16 or so? What has life been like for you and your family? Been wild, you know. For me, um, you know, now <laughs> navigating Christianity and hip hop and being black is like walking on a tightrope made out of floss. Mm. 
you just any wrong move could blow it all up. And uh, that's been crazy. Now, that's something I like the, the word white evangelical. I never heard of it. Like I had never heard of it until maybe 2016. 2015, like mm-hmm. I think it's around that time. Like I didn't, I knew that I never saw white people in the churches that I went to, except for a few. Mm-hmm. And I knew that, you know, there were certain things that separated churches, but I had no clue how deep the root went and how much of a different culture it was. So when I got started rapping, and when I, you know, because for me, rap, I've always been in a black church, and you know, uh rap is a during the time when I was coming up was very much black. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's a lot different now, which is dope. I think it's great, uh, by the way. But, you know, I think that, like, I, all I did was a black experience. And then with I joined 116, I joined Reach, and I got thrust into a whole different culture, right? So, you know, it was million-dollar, you know, churches and pastors with salaries. Like, pastors didn't get salaries where I came from. It was like, yo, he, he just take the offering and, and do whatever, you know? Like, salaries. It's like a business. It's like these big concerts and 20,000 people inside those concerts. And, you know, you got this guy and that guy and this worship leader and all. I didn't even know this stuff existed. I didn't know that, like, Christianity had a business aspect to it because it's just... Mm-hmm. Back where I came from, that wasn't really that. It was just people trying to make it in these little small churches. So, you know, like, I'm like, okay, this is crazy. So the first thing I did really for me was I said, this has to be what it is. This, So, you know, I started kind of even looking back on the, my upbringing and thinking that wasn't really as sufficient. So I'm like, oh, you know, I'm hopping into all these reformed theology things and learning from all these guys, these great pastors. And I still think some of them are great now. And I'm like, oh, you know, you hear them talk about justice and God is a God of justice and all that. I'm like, oh, okay, cool. And then Trayvon Martin got killed. Mm-hmm. And then Mike Brown. And then Alton Sterling and Philando Castile. And I was actually at left my church. It was going to a white church, like an evangelical church, because I thought that was the right way. That was the thing. And I remember my pastor, I'll never forget it. Like, I remember that one of my pastors, when uh, this guy got killed in North Carolina, so many people I forgot, but he got killed. And they asked the, the, one of the representatives in the state of North Carolina, why do you think black people are upset? He said they're upset because they're jealous. Not because this man got shot in the back, but because black people are jealous of white people and their success. That was a that was an official. So I, I, I tweeted out, I said, if you ever want to see systematic injustice, know that doesn't exist or why it exists, is this guy. And literally my pastor got on. And I in hindsight, I think he was trying to do his best. Mm. But he got on, like, telling me, like, how I should act. He was more concerned with my response to a frustration than the frustration or offense itself. He thought, I like, me. he said, you got to keep unity, unity, unity. We got to keep unity. But the, the version of unity is always with the Black people being quiet about their pain and the white people getting to move on. So 
at that time, I, I haven't known how to articulate how to say that. I was just frustrated. And it came to a head when I saw my fans defending me against my pastor. Mm. And I was like, I'm out. I got to go. That is when I started understanding that there's a stark difference and that, to, and it made me say why. And then the more I started researching my history, I started finding out, you know, Southern Baptists was a result of Baptists in the South saying they had the right to own people. And when you start noticing on, you know, on the slave ships that there was a pastor on every slave ship or, you know, they would change or they would take you to a, they snatch you from the coast, snatch you from your lands, march you to the coast, and then a priest would pray over you and change your name to a European Christian name and then say, may God bless you on the journey ahead and then put you on a boat where you pack like sardines in your own feces and urine and getting sick. And most people died just from that. And women being raped and all those things. Like The church in America was the it was the catalyst for that. And when you, you notice that at the lynching photos or that, those were good Christian men. Like when Ahmaud Avery, when Ahmaud Avery got killed, they, they said that these are two good Christian men that's being persecuted. I start saying, wow, wait a second. Mm-hmm. Hold up. <laughs> like the same place where I'm like, at, these are some of the people that like are, are not on my, they're, they're not for my rights. Like they're mm-hmm. against me. That, was a shock. It's still shocking to this day, um, unfortunately. But it's like, that probably was what kind of, that's what my time here has been. It's been being misunderstood and overlooked. And that's it's a frustrating thing. But at the same time, you know, the Lord, what, what I learned through this, if, you know, we're talking about, you know, 10 years, the Lord has taught me to, to, to be able, because it's nothing like having to be on trial in the middle of your frustrations. Mm. So now the Lord has taught me how to talk to people, even when I'm frustrated. And then also it made me go back and study what being a black man is. What have my ancestors gone through? Like what have they fought through and how do I grow what they suffered and died for? And I've also learned that there's a difference between being smart and ignorant. Like some people like are smart, but they're also ignorant. Like they're smart about what they know. They could break down the physics of, of the earth during the Bible times. They could give you all the theology, but they could be ignorant to something. And just because you're smart in that doesn't mean, does, does not mean you're smart in everything. And that's, I had to learn that and to know that I have to find my security in Christ. I can't find it in Mm. acceptance from anybody. But it's been it's been a hard couple of weeks for me and I don't bear the burden of right. being black two, in America. Black um, mama you though. Know, you got um, two two babies and raising and, kids. And you got babies and they hard, black and, no matter what. And you know, here's one thing about it. You you're in there with us. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Um like you could tell when someone's an ally or not. You know what I mean? And and like like that's what's important is is that you know what I mean? Like, I think sometimes people think black people want every white person to suffer for what's happening, but it's no, it's not that. The people just want justice. If there were more Jamies out there, there'd be more justice. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. That's kind, Derek. But you know, one of the things that that you've learned over the past 10 years, and I too have learned about 
we each have, you know, unique platforms that God's given us and unique voices where people are listening. And I know I've had to learn what does it mean to steward this voice well? And for me, it means speaking up during times like this. And I know you mentioned before on, I think the relevant podcast we were recording once, but stewarding your platform and speaking up, it's cost you things, hasn't it? Oh yeah, for sure. Yeah. Booking started slowing down. Um, I mean, I mean, just even now, just the stuff I've said, I've had to block. There's no telling how many people I've had to block, comments I've had to delete. It's funny, one kid said, you know, I posted about this and said, I, I'm, I'm really tired of seeing people that look like me, you know, die. And he responds, way to make it about yourself, Derek. And I said, oh, how am I making it about myself? Do tell. And he said, yeah, you post these things for clout. And then you overlook the fact that blacks kill each other more and white cops kill it. Like just the, the weird pseudo math, right? So he says that. And I and I thought to myself as he said that, like, and I went to my, because I noticed every time I post, I, literally during Black History Month, I lost so many followers on every platform. Mm. And, you know, this kid says, I'm doing this for clout. I'm like, every post is me. I, every time I post about defending black people, I literally lose followers. Like, mm-hmm. it's like you just start seeing the followers dwindle. You start seeing, uh, you know, less and less calls from churches. Like, I don't really do a lot of churches anymore, which is totally fine with me. Like, my thing is, if I can't be myself around you, I don't need to be. Yeah. There. You know what I mean? Yeah. Well, I mean, I I remember when you said that, I just thought, man, it's so interesting that the same churches that would bring you in and the same young people who would buy your albums, they would turn so quickly when the conversation turns into something that makes them feel uncomfortable or makes them kind of introspective as to what's going on and not want to face that, you know, in their own lives. And so I hate that, you know, I hate it, but... I'm glad I know you. I'm glad we're having these conversations. Um, I'm thankful for your voice. I hope that we can all be a part of changing the people around us, our communities, our churches, mm. city council people, mayors, sheriffs, like all the th- those things all have to begin to change before we'll see any change. And so thankful for your voice. Mm, likewise. Thankful for yours as well. For sure. Uh, you got anything exciting coming up? Nah. <laughs> Quarantine, I mean, <laughs> I know. It's, it's like normally I have like an album or a tour, but you know, touring. They said it may not come back to anyone, oh. right? So crazy. You know, it's like putting an album out without touring. It's like you can't do it. It wouldn't make any sense. It wouldn't make any sense, you know. So it's just yeah. I'll just tell you know, go to DerekMinor.com. <laughs> <laughs> Stay on the list. Stay on the list. Uh, Derek, uh, for real, thanks for joining me. Have a good weekend with your woman and your kids. And um, thank you for for just speaking with us and speaking your heart. And thank you for always being honest in your music and your art and your craft, everything you do. So thanks, Derek. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, Derek, for joining us on the show today. If you want to listen to his music, you can find everything at thederekminer.com. Thank you for his voice. Um, I hope that in these conversations that we're having on the podcast within this week, and if you want to find more conversations that we've had on the podcast about race and how that affects us in America, especially as Christ followers, go look up episodes by Latasha Morrison, Andrea Holman, Latoria, Catherine Freeman, Becca Matemba. Those are just a few that I would encourage you to begin listening to as you're more interested about diving into this conversation. Today's show was edited and mixed by the team at Podshaper, and the music was developed for the show by Matt Graham. 
Show notes are written by Quinn Pearson. The whole thing is organized by Lindsay Sweeney. Friends, thanks for listening. If you enjoyed this show, I would love it if you shared it with your friends. Word of mouth is the number one way that people find out about our podcasts. Thank you for that. Hey guys, you are listening to The Happy Hour with Jamie Ivey. I am Jamie and I'm your host and I'm so glad that you're here. If you like what you're listening to today, make sure you subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. We bring you new shows every Wednesday and Fridays and an amazing guest always joins me to chat about the big things in life, the little things in life and everything in between. Subscribe today to The Happy Hour with Jamie Ivey on your podcast player so you never miss an episode.